we'll see how this works. Well, good morning. Pop quiz time. Okay, there's only one question. There's only one answer. Nope. <laughs> Dave, you've known me long enough, although you've never been in a youth group with me as the sponsor, so Jesus is never the right answer when I'm asking questions. It's always something that's going to require a little more thought. So here it is. When you know the answer, shout it out because it's going to suddenly click for everybody and you want to be the first one out there. So what book of the Bible is this story in? The story is about a woman who had been betrothed to a king. Somewhere between the betrothal and the wedding, she was captured and enslaved by the king's mortal enemy. No guesses yet. Okay, I'll keep going. Time went on. The woman was losing hope that she would ever be free. Let alone, what, what, do you, what is it? No, it's not Revelation. <clears throat> the time went on, the woman was losing hope that she would ever be free, let alone get to marry her beloved. One day, the king went in search of a champion whom he could send into the land of his enemy to rescue his betrothed. Nothing yet? The champion faced the enemy in nine contests of power and perseverance. That's the first big clue right there. Time and again, the two met in battle. Every time, it seemed the contest was over and the champion victorious. The enemy would regroup and mount another attack. After nine battles, there was one final devastating contest, and the enemy was completely beaten. He finally relented. Was there a guess over there? He finally relented and allowed the champion to leave with the woman. While the champion and the woman were leaving the land, the enemy had a change of heart and sent his army to bring her back. Oh, it's the book of Exodus. Yeah, exactly right. It goes on like this. In one final contest, the enemy was completely vanquished. The champion and the woman were able to get away, and the woman was returned to her beloved, and he became a husband to her. The book is Exodus. The woman is Israel. The champion is Moses, and the king is God. That was fun, wasn't it? Want to do it again? No, we're not going to do it again. But here's the point. The story parallels our recent past. See, Israel was in Egypt for 430 years, praying for God to extend his hand and to free them. 
and keep his promise to Abraham. They were praying for God to reveal and fulfill his will for them. And he did. Well, a little over a year ago, we were in a similar position. We were feeling trapped, and we started praying for God's deliverance. The need of prayer to have those questions answered always. What does our future look like? The elders even held a retreat recently to explore those questions a little further. Because, hey, to look around and say, Pastor Alex, yeah, that's, that's God's plan for us. And, you know, we're going there. And now that he's here, we've arrived and everything is okay. And we can relax is a false perception. We can't relax. We believe, because the elders have gotten together, because you have supported these questions in prayer, because all of these things are working together, we, that is the elders and Pastor Alex and myself, we believe that we have a good understanding of the first steps that God is moving us toward. And that, of course, takes us to today, the present day. If you look around, you will see things beginning to change. Our platform looks different than it did just a few months ago. The offices look different than they did a few months ago. The bathrooms are beginning to look different. We have teams of people that are out there considering the appearance of our building suggesting paint colors, looking forward to upgrading technology. I think it'll be really cool. You'll see that happening here. You don't need to know what it is yet. That's, that's a future thing. That, actually, you know, the future thing is what Alex gets to talk about this morning. But we have teams of people looking at all of these things, looking forward to upgrading technology, reviewing our identity constantly, with both inside and outside the church. You know, it's, it's, in some Christian circles, it's really a bad thing to say image. But it's an important concept today. And we have to keep that in mind if we're going to move forward. This is really an exciting day. And I want you to know that everything, Every single change you have seen and will see or hear about around here is intentional. And it is the answer to your prayer. I believe that we, that is the elders and Pastor Alex and myself, we would not have these answers if you had not prayed. We are absolutely dependent on the leading of the Holy Spirit, not our own preferences. We are guided by our mission and purpose, not our own desires. So we're looking at everything. Our website. Our website is different now than it was a week ago. If you have not seen it, you have to go there. 
It's really cool. I didn't say that first, Alex did. I listened and I repeated what I heard. No, it is, it's really exciting. I mean, it's an exciting place. You'll see there things that you haven't seen before. Some of those things Alex is gonna talk about in a minute. But we're looking at everything, the website, the building, our finances, the ministry plan, everything as tools that God has put in our hands and asked us to use in order to fulfill his calling on us. So as we consider every single item, we're asking ourselves, how does this play into fulfilling God's calling on us? Instead of saying, I don't like that, we should change it, we're asking God, how do you want us to use this? That's an important thing. Because what it does is call us to take our traditions and our preferences and our desires and lay them on the table and say, God, you choose what stays. Even down to the color of the paint on the walls or the decorations on the platform or the appearance of the website or the music we choose or how we sound in our streaming online. All of it. Every single thing. I mean, do you, you think of those kind of details? God, how do we use the way we sound on the internet to fulfill your calling for us? Let me give you another example. Look at this. This is cool. It was cool. But when it comes down to it, it's a relic. It's a relic from the dark ages. It's literally true. It's literally true. Yeah. And, and this is a pared down version of what used to be a huge thing they called the sacred desk because it held the sacred book. And from it, People used to get their education about God because there weren't Bibles. There just weren't Bibles out there for everybody to have like we have today. And people would gather around this desk. In some places, it was elevated six, eight, ten feet above the floor. But it had its purpose in fulfilling the mission. And now... It's come down to this acrylic thing, which really is just furniture. Because, hey, even the sacred book is now the sacred device. <laughs> and if I put it down here, it's just as good as if I put it over there. but I want you to think of these things. I want you to remember that all of the things we're doing, the elders and the pastors have thought through it, heard advice from our team, and we are thinking, 
what is the best way to do this in order to fulfill the mission and purpose? Let me give another example, the color of paint. Everybody's got an idea about the color of paint. Some think things look good, some think they, think they don't look good. There's a my preference, my desire, you know, what matches my outfit, whatever it is. <clears throat> don't really care about those opinions. I mean, they're important when we're considering people, but when we're considering the mission, the opinions are not important. We recognize that one's, one person's opinion is as good as another. Opinions about what is aesthetically pleasing. I don't like that color. My eye clashes. But one person's opinion is as good as another's. And arguing about what looks good or bad is just wasting time and making enemies. There's no time for that. God is not calling us to waste time or make enemies. He's calling us to something bigger. So when it comes to choosing paint, we are not considering aesthetics alone, but purpose, feeling, the way the building feels, presence. What is it? bring to mind. We are considering mission. We believe that mission is about action. Our mission is about action. And we are choosing colors that make our building say active. Action geared toward developing Jesus followers, both inside and outside the building, so that in the weeks and months ahead, you will see changes taking place. Please resist the tendency to say, I don't like it. And ask yourself, how does this support the mission and the purpose that God is calling us to fulfill? And there's one more thing I want to say before I turn this over to Pastor Alex. That thing is about prayer. See, I've noticed in the past several weeks that attendance at Sunday morning prayer is down. That means fewer of us are praying together and seeking God's plan and blessing. We have fallen back into a little bit of a more comfortable routine rather than rousing ourselves to pray together and seek God's leading. We're busy on Sunday mornings fulfilling ministry roles instead of praying for insight. If I just stepped on your toes, wear steel shoes. We are busy with our own lives, or we've become dull or comfortable or complacent or whatever, but whatever it is, we have become people who pray less together. That's exactly what happened to Israel after the Exodus. It did not go well for them. Yes, we're getting better and more complete understanding of what it is God is calling us to do. Yes, we are moving ahead. Yes, God is answering our earlier prayers, but we are not finished and he is not yet finished with us. In fact, we are only beginning Good things are happening today because God is answering yesterday's prayers. 
what will happen tomorrow if we stop praying now? Please reconsider joining us on Sunday mornings at 8.45 for prayer. If we do not maintain our dependence on God in prayer, we will be in trouble. God very rarely answers the prayers we do not pray. Pastor Alex, come on up. I want to pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the anointing that you have put on this man. Thank you for the teams that are forming and have formed. And thank you for the prayer that we now benefit from. Guide us, I pray. Continue to guide us as we move into what it is that you are calling us to be. For the glory of Christ, for the kingdom, for the lost. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Transitioning of, of pulpits up here, so that's uh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, this is going to be hard for you all. I just want like this is I, I don't have a, a barrier in front of me anymore. I want you to like to understand and realize that if you have your Bibles, open them up to, to Genesis chapter one. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. We're going to be looking in there, and then. Uh, so, uh, Pastor Don mentioned a few things, um, some of the changes that are happening to our, our physical space, uh, Grace and, and uh, the team that she has put together are, are kind of looking at all aspects and saying, okay, what do we do with, with the, the physical aesthetic that we have to use it most effectively for mission? And then, um, uh, and then Kevin and Garth and Jay uh, and I, we've been meeting over... Uh, uh, the last, ever since I came on, like uh, since the very beginning, to say, okay, the Lord has given us digital space, uh, and how do we use that digital space most effectively for mission? And so I was, uh, we, we got to launch the website uh, this past week, which is very, very exciting. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to engage another sphere where people are, and that's, that's the reality. People are living in the digital sphere, and we want to do our best to, to engage them there as well. So I'm, I'm excited about those things. I'm encouraged uh, by those things, and so um, so today we get to continue talking about uh, what what the Lord is leading us into. So uh, so the elders and I we've been talking and we've been working through three big questions. Jay, we're going to be like on slide five, I think, somewhere the one that looks like that, the next one that looks like that. Very good. Okay, so uh, three questions we have been working through as an elder team. Uh, the first question is this. What do we, the church, exist for? What is our purpose? So we've been asking this question. We've been kind of working through things, trying to figure out, okay, what is Alliance Bible Church here in the middle of Bartlett for? The second question we asked is, okay, so if we know that purpose, uh, how do we communicate that purpose simply, clearly, and compellingly? Okay, so we know what the purpose is, and then we have to communicate the purpose. And then the third question that we've been asking is this, how do we create a simple system 
that enables individuals to take ownership of our purpose. So, so how do we put together something that enables every single person that's a part of the body of Christ to take ownership of this purpose that the Lord has called us to. So those are three questions that we have been praying through as a team, that we've been working through as a team. We had an elder retreat where we laid those things out on the table to try to figure out how the Lord is leading us. So we'll deal with the first question first. What is our purpose? So we have Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. In Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20, this is what it says. And Jesus came to them, And said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This is the command that Jesus gave his disciples. This is the command that every single church that is gathered in Jesus' name around the world exists for. We exist to make disciples. So if that's the case, we exist to make disciples. We exist to help people who are not currently disciples of Jesus become disciples of Jesus. So every person who is in this room who is a believer in Jesus, you are a part of our collective effort to make disciples, to help people who are not currently disciples of Jesus become disciples of Jesus. And let me tell you, like, what what we've been talking about as an elder team is if we're not doing this, uh, the building can be falling apart, Uh, the the yard will never get mowed, like, all of this stuff, if we're not taking care of this thing, then none of that other stuff matters. None of it matters. And so, so this is the thing that we wanted to focus on. If this is our, our clearest purpose, we need to make sure that this is what we're doing. Okay, so we exist to help people who are not currently disciples of Jesus become disciples of Jesus. Okay, that leads us then to a deeper question. And that is this, what are we making when we make disciples? What exactly are we making when we make disciples? That is another, uh, a deeper question that we've been asking. And so, um, so we're, trying to, we're trying to figure this out. And, and so I want to define the word disciple for us. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. Someone who knows and follows Jesus that helps other people know and follow Jesus. So if what we're making, what we're making here are people who know and follow Jesus that help other people know and follow Jesus. Okay, so that, that led us to another question because uh, we can keep going and uh, you're going to understand, like we're going to start way up here in the big picture realm. And then today we're going to drill down to, to some really clear specifics. So, and, and these questions help us drill down. So, so the next question is, what happens when people know and follow Jesus? Like, what is happening inside of people when they know and follow Jesus? And to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to, to Genesis 1. So uh, Debbie mentioned earlier that, that uh, we got to spend some time at the, the district conference uh, this week. And uh, I, there was a guy there who shared, and I was like, man, the stuff that he brought forward, I was like, this is exactly what I'm going to be talking about on Sunday. So, so uh, these points, actually, I, I drew from a lot from, from what he presented to us. But we're going to take a look at Genesis 1 through 3. And as we look at that, we're going to actually discover what Jesus' purpose is for us. What the purpose of even following Jesus is. So, there are five things in Genesis 1 through 3 that we need to notice 
the first thing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. So we could like talk about, okay, what does it mean that God created it? And there could be all of these like different answers that we come up with, like God was before time, and so he, he kind of assembled it all together and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, a most basic thing that in the beginning God created means, the most basic thing is that everything belongs to God. That's the most basic thing that we can take from that. Okay, so we got that one out of the way. That's the first thing I want us to notice. The second thing I want us to notice. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so God has a specific part of his creation that is made in some way to look like him. So the second thing, the second thing that we need to notice about Genesis 1 through 3 is that humans, actually, we represent God in creation. So that's another thing that God, like, hardwired into the way that he made things is that he made us to represent him in creation. Okay, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. The third thing to notice is that God's good creation was made to multiply. It's written all over creation, multiplication, everywhere, throughout creation. Everything multiplies, and this is what God intended. And then he goes on in, in verse 28. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, of the heavens, over every, every living thing that moves on the earth. So the fourth thing to notice is that God gives humans, humans are given responsibility over creation. They're given a really specific responsibility to have dominion, to take some ownership. And then in Genesis 2, 18 and 24, we see the last thing that we need to notice about creation. 2.18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Therefore a man shall leave his wife or sorry, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the fifth thing that we need to notice in Genesis 1 through 3 is this. Interdependency makes creation very good because before there was interdependency with the man, it was not good. God looked at it and said it was not good. But then when he instills, when he, he imprints interdependency, on creation, it makes it very good. Okay, these are five things to notice. Well, then something happened in Genesis chapter 3. This is God's good creation. This is everything that he intended. But God gave human beings a very clear command. You shall not eat of this tree. And human beings disobeyed. You shall surely die if you eat of this tree and, and by disobeying, human beings introduced death into God's good creation. They disobeyed, and a curse came. And everything that was good about creation, uh, it, it broke down. It started to break apart. So we can actually look at when the curse came, how when everything belongs to God, well, now actually human beings treat things as our own. We treat things as if they belong to us. Human, humans, uh, you know, we're, we're supposed to represent God in creation, but at this point, 
we represent our own broken interests. Um, God's good creation was made to multiply, um, and now through us, death actually multiplies in creation. We just like create more and more and more death. Uh, creation starts to... Cr- oh, so, humans are given responsibility over creation. Well, when humans take responsibility over creation now, it actually starts to crumble under their stewardship. It starts to fall apart. Uh, and then interdependency is supposed to make creation very good, but instead what happens is that conflict and competition start to replace interdependency. So, uh, and this is seen most clearly in Genesis chapter 4 uh, when Cain, or Cain kills Abel, right? So they, they, they're supposed to be together and interdependent and reliant upon each other, and now it becomes about competition, becomes about individualism, it becomes about conflict. And so at every level, what God intended for good starts to break apart at the seams. And the rest of the Bible is the story about God's plan of restoration. How he is going to restore what he originally intended for good. And that's how we know that when people know and follow Jesus, because Jesus is the key to that restoration, right? When people get introduced to Jesus, then then God starts sewing those seams back together. He starts to restore what he originally intended for good. So we know that when people know and follow Jesus, then they experience restoration through Jesus, and then they are sent. They're told to go into the world as restorers. That's the task that we're given. That's the responsibility that we're given. So what is our purpose when people, when we know and follow Jesus, well then we experience restoration. We experience first that restoration of our relationship with God, but then we see him start to heal the other things around us. And then he sends us. He sends us into the world as restorers. Okay, that is our big picture purpose. The second question we had to ask is this. How do we communicate that purpose simply, clearly, and compellingly? Because you're not going to do it with five points of walking through Genesis 1 through 3. That is not the simplest, clearest, and most compelling way to explain our purpose. So uh, so we're going to launch some new statements. These statements are located on our website, but I want to let you know on the front end, I have a little bit, a little bit of baggage with statements because I, sometimes we feel like, oh, we roll out these statements, and then we'll stick them in a document somewhere, and then they'll take effect somehow. Like, you're supposed to remember them, and it'll just stick with you and kind of fall out of you now that we've stated them into existence. But that's not the case. Um, the, but the, so I want to talk about what we're trying to accomplish with these statements. Um, they, they help us because when they're, they're stated well, when we do them well, They have the ability to keep in front of people a common purpose. They give outsiders an idea of what we're about here. And they they indicate to us insiders the kinds of things that we will and won't put our energy behind, right? So that's kind of what we're we're accomplishing with these statements. So we had a few stipulations as the elders were working through these. So we were trying to figure out how do we state these things that we're going to be about, um, uh, there were two. There were a few. One of them was uh, any of our statements have to be eight words or less. Eight words or less because it has to be clear and memorable. 
Uh, and then uh, the statements also have to have a discernible meaning to unchurched and de-churched people. So, um, so when we say make disciples, like that's our mission. Now, we know what it means to make disciples, but people who are outside don't necessarily know what it means to make disciples. So one of the other questions that we had to ask is, what does it look for people who look like for people who are outside the church to begin understanding what we're about? So, um, so there are going to be two statements. The first one we're going to work through is our purpose statement. And uh, our, our purpose statement, it, it's one that tells us what we exist for. And the other one, uh, the other statement that we came up with is a statement that tells us how we're going to accomplish our purpose. So two statements. The first one is our purpose statement. How do we state it simply, clearly, and compellingly? The first piece is working together. Our purpose, working together. So one major piece, and I've come to learn this as I've gotten to know everyone, one major piece of our collective identity as a church is we're a family. We're a close-knit group of people, and the things that we put energy behind, we do together. There's a lot of a sense of togetherness. We Church work days, like we have announcements here on the platform. We don't reach out to specific people, but we let you know, hey, y'all can come to the church work day because we work together on the things that we care about, right? So, so we work together, which means that we're a family. We love each other here. So working together, uh, the second piece is to restore hope. So if we believe that when people know and follow Jesus, that they experience restoration through Jesus and then are sent into the world by Jesus, how do we, how do we communicate that idea briefly and compellingly? Well, uh, especially to a culture that we don't fully understand and that doesn't fully understand us. So, uh, so we talked about ideas, concepts in our culture that people relate to, and one big concept in our culture that people relate to is brokenness. Um, that, is, that is kind of a, a, a well-known and common way of thinking about the world today. Like if you just look at our world and, and, and the ways that uh, political disagreements are growing more and more tense and people are, are getting more and more frustrated with each other in our world uh, and, and how even like the, the movies that we watch uh, are more about a dystopian future than they are about a hopeful future, right? So people relate to the idea of brokenness today. And so, so we looked at that and said that would be a valuable thing to look at. And, and then uh, Pastor Don spoke up and said, okay, yeah, brokenness. Well, one of the really popular things that's out on TV is talking about restoration, uh, specifically in like the home building world. Everything is about how can you take something that is uh, kind of broken down and old and how do you restore it to something that is better and good? And so, so picking up on that idea of restoration, we said, okay, we can use that word to help us get at the kind of thing that we're trying to communicate. So, uh, so restoration is the word that we pick for that. And then why is hope the thing that we're restoring? Uh, well, there are, are two different meanings to, to restoring hope, whether you're inside or outside. So, so we know that the primary cause of brokenness is that um, every single good th- way that things were created has been warped in Genesis chapter 3. It's at, at the core, there's a brokenness between us and God. We're hopeless until that relationship is restored, right? That's something that we know, insiders know. But we also know that, that our world is becoming increasingly dark. That, uh, in a place that people actually found it to once be hopeful. So even like our safe suburbs, heroin use is on the rise, 
and schools. Um, uh, we used to put our hope in a good president, but now a president just completely represents uh, either or of the political spectrum, right? Uh, we, used to, uh, we used to put our hope maybe in uh, the government to help us out, but uh, there keep being government shutdowns and, and different things going on. And then, uh, uh, and then we have uh, terrorism and shootings in churches uh, and, and many spheres where people once found hope in our world, hope is lost. And we believe that knowing and following Jesus is the key to seeing hope restored. Okay, so restore hope. The last piece is this, to all people. We restore hope to all people. So, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of who? All nations. That's exactly right. So this, this all people thing, it accomplishes two things for us. It reminds us that the, the church, this church, is not just here for one group of people or one kind of people, one demographic, one age range, but it's here for all people. And it also does another thing where it connects us to our broader alliance identity, which is about a mission that's happening all over the world. So, so that, those, those things, so this is our purpose statement then, working together to restore hope to all people. This is what we do here. We work together to restore hope to all people. Okay, then we have to answer the third question. If that's our purpose, the third question is this, how do we create a simple system that enables individuals to take ownership of our purpose. Okay, so our purpose is working together to restore hope to all people. The way we do that is by our strategy. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. So when I came on here, I became uh, aware of two really distinct realities, things that were kind of most pressing. One is uh, we need to simplify our structure. So a lot of things that I heard was uh, we just have a lot going on. We feel like there are, uh, we can sometimes do too much as a church. Maybe we can say yes to too many things. And so, uh, so one of the things that uh, I, I sensed was most pressing, that the elders sense was most pressing, is we need some sort of simplification of things. And the second thing uh, that, that we knew that we needed to know was we needed to know with clarity how disciples were going to be made. So if you remember nothing else from this morning, I want you to remember this. At Alliance Bible Church, we do three things, worship, love, and go. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. That's the means by which this church will make disciples. So the first part, we will worship God. Part of restoring hope means that we restore people to a right relationship with God, which comes through faith in Jesus. And our clearest expression of that restored relationship happens here on Sunday morning when we all gather together in worship of God. And not only that, but then something happens where we, we, are, uh, we sing songs together, we are taught in the Word together, like God equips us in this time to make us the kind of people that he wants us to be. And, and then beyond that, there's also a reality of our personal worship. We all have systems of personal worship that we'd be seeking to develop and implement into our lives. And so with these two things, we will worship God. That is the first piece of how we will make disciples here at Alliance Bible Church. The second piece is that we will love each other. We will love each other. So part of restoring hope means restoring people to right relationship with each other, right? That's the interdependency piece. 
We believe that the church community is a place where we learn most clearly what relational restoration should look like. We learn that most clearly here. And so at our church, the easiest ways, the easiest ways to jump into this kind of community, this restorative community that we're going to be talking about, are going to be two ways, jumping into a group and finding a place to serve. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But, but when you do those things, you participate in the loving of each other, this thing that we're called to do. And then the third piece that we're called to is that we will go. We will go to our communities with the hope of Jesus. We'll take the hope of the gospel to our spheres of influence. So the hope that we have is a hope that we know that every person in our world desperately needs. And as Jesus followers, we have a role to play in bringing that hope to them. And so uh, through both organized community outreach and personal relationships, we hope to see every person in our church bring the hope of Jesus to their spheres of influence, to their communities. That's what we hope. So we will go to our spheres of influence. So there are two things there. That's the organized community outreach and personal relationships. That's stuff that we're going to invest energy towards equipping you for as well. Okay, so what? So what? I've stated the words into existence now, right? So now that, now that they're out there, it's just going to happen, right? So we, we're good, like we can pack up and take care, we'll go home, it's all good. No, no, that's not the way it works. Uh, I don't even think it's fair to call these statements like a first step in the process, right? This is like a pre-step. This is something to help get us prepared for us to actually do what the Lord is calling us to do. So we stated a purpose and a simple strategy, and now we have to take some steps towards bringing what we do as a church into alignment with that purpose and simple strategy. So, uh, so I have three initial steps, three initial next steps that we're going to take. The first is that we are going to continue to reinforce Crossroads and Fridays. Uh, and so I, I want to tell you about some really exciting things that are happening at Crossroads. Uh, there are kids, many of whom don't go to church or aren't connected to a church, that are learning how to use Bibles, learning how to read them, uh, learning how to pray, learning how to relate to God, um, uh, learning about the kind of God that we have. And they're also being loved really, really well by their leaders. Okay, that's the first thing that's happening. Now, can I tell you something really exciting? Since January, we've had seven kids accept Christ through our ministry at Crossroads, and you can clap for that. That is a big deal. And this really, this, fl- this fits really clearly under our Go category, and that's why we're going to continue investing in it, continue resourcing it, because this is something that we are about. So that's, uh, that's the first next step. We're going to continue pouring into that. The second next step, summer worship, prayer, and picnics. Okay, so we will, uh, what the elders agreed is that we will not lessen the time in our calendar that we give to prayer. That's a commitment that we've made. So we will at least always give a chunk of our week to prayer, uh, but if anything, we will increase the amount of time that we give to prayer. So summer worship, prayer, and picnic, June 22nd, July 27th, August 24th. There are people who have calendars and who make calendars here, and if any of this uh, steps on your toes, we can talk, and maybe th- if those, na- dates, those dates don't have to be written in stone. So, uh, so just so you know. Uh, all right, but, uh, but what this is, is that uh, 
I, we want to come together. We want to worship together as a family and do a mixture of worship and prayer for like 45 minutes. And then afterwards, like we just want to enjoy time together with no agenda. No agenda. Just spend time because honestly, like I feel like every time we get together, like we're, we're frantic and we always have some tasks to accomplish. I think it's good and valuable for this family to just get together and enjoy one another's company up in our backyard here. So, um, so that's kind of what we'll be doing. Those are Saturdays, Saturday afternoon, evenings. There will be more details on that to come. And then uh, the third next step, fall 2019, we are launching community groups or small groups. You've probably done things like this before. We have a lot of things right now in the church that are already like this, um, this is the last piece uh, of, a nec- of next steps that we'll be taking. So in September, we're going to be launching these. And uh, so Sunday morning is really only one piece of the discipleship experience, right? The other piece of the discipleship experience is having a community so- to surround us, to push us on into growth, to help us understand what the Christian life should look like. And so, so uh, community groups are a place where we could have other brothers and sisters come alongside us uh, to help us walk this Christian life that we're supposed to, to walk uh, as we take part in the mission of God together. So you might ask the question, okay, that's great, but I already have a lot of things in my schedule that I do here, including women's Bible study, and, uh, and uh, I, I am a part of other groups, and so, so are you saying you're going to ask me to join one more thing? And I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to ask you to join one more thing. In fact, what we're doing, and uh, I'm working with Sue, and I'll be working uh, with, uh, with Debbie uh, to, to, to figure out what it takes to, to take our groups that are currently existing and bring them all into alignment on the same kind of, uh, of group strategy, format of the evening, that kind of stuff. But what, what I'm basically saying is, if you're already in one of those things, then great, like you're in a group right now. But, but our goal or what we want to do is we would love to see every person who is a part of Alliance Bible Church in some kind of group where people can come alongside them and support them. And so we'll also be launching new groups in September as well. So that's what you can expect. Obviously, there's going to be more communication and information to come on that. But that, uh, that is, we just want to bring you up to speed on what's happening, things we have worked on as a church. So that's the direction that we're going. If you look at our website, um, we have a Who We Are page. You can see our purpose statement and our strategy um, right there on, on the website, and you can begin to understand that. And we'll figure out different ways to communicate that as we go along to keep the mission in front of us. So I want to I, I close with a hymn, uh, and I want to read it to you. This is what it says. It says, send this is by A.B. Simpson, by the way, uh, the founder of our movement. That's kind of important. So uh, A.B. Simpson, he wrote this hymn. It says, send the gospel of salvation to a world of dying men. Tell it out to every nation till the Lord shall come again. Go and tell them, go and tell them Jesus died for sinful men. Go and tell them, go and tell them he is coming back again. Tis the church's great commission, tis the master's last command. Christ has died for every creature. Tell it out to every land. Christ is gathering out a people to his name from every race. Haste to give the invitation. Ere shall end the day of grace. Go and tell them. Go and tell them. Jesus died for sinful men. Go and tell them. Go and tell them. 
he is coming back again. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, may we never lose sight of the mission that you have for us. May you keep us intent on it, and as you show us these next steps that you want us to take, Lord, would you help us to be faithful? Lord, I pray that you would continue showing everybody in this church the kinds of next steps that you might have for us. That you would continue showing us what faithfulness looks like. That you would continue showing us but how we might even be able to see every man, woman, and child within a two-mile radius of this church come to hear the gospel of Jesus. Lord, would you reveal that to us? And Lord, let us not lose sight of it. We trust you for this work. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.